WNYC is teaming up with NPR to bring you a new daily podcast, Consider This. We'll bring you the biggest news stories and what's happening in our community to help you make sense of the day. Subscribe to Consider This wherever you get your podcasts. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. There is no blueprint. There is no blueprint at all. And in some ways, if I had had diabetes or MS or some other thing where there's a lot more research and a lot more sort of protocol, in some ways, that might be easier. You know, my life is sort of like a major science experiment that, knock on wood, is going well right now. (laughs) Susanna Ludwig didn't understand how fragile her health was until she was 21 and just out of college. She'd gone to the hospital for a pretty routine surgery. And when she woke up, something was wrong. All of a sudden, I couldn't swallow anything at all. Her esophagus had collapsed to the size of a pencil. And so what was that like? You, they gave you a plate of food at the hospital and you just thought, I can't do it? No, I think we tried and it just wouldn't go down. It was scary, but it didn't come out of nowhere. Susanna had been born with a really rare birth defect, an incomplete esophagus. When she was a baby... Doctors came up with a workaround. They reshaped her stomach into a makeshift tube. Now, two decades later, it didn't work. She couldn't eat. And while doctors figured out what to do, Susanna got by on liquids and started losing weight. I was tiny, tiny, tiny at the time. Um, I think I might have been like, you know, 90 pounds. I was really tiny. Yeah. And eventually they determined that I needed a new esophagus. And then we did that surgery, which was you know, 14 or 15-hour surgery and a three-week hospitalization. This time, doctors figured out that they could make a new esophagus using a piece of her intestine. Had you understood that something like that could happen? No. And I definitely didn't and hadn't sort of dealt with what that feels like to be a young adult and sort of be aware that I might not ever be able to eat again, and I might not, if I can't eat, how am I going to live, and what, you know, like those kinds of sort of really deep things. There's a kind of medical story that's pretty common about a kid who survives an awful health problem with the help of ingenious doctors. And usually, that's where the story ends. The kid's better, the credits roll. In a lot of ways, Susanna was that kid. But the workaround her doctors figured out when she was little wasn't the end of her story. Instead, like she says, she's been an ongoing experiment. When some new problem crops up, Susanna and her doctors have to piece together solutions. I'm Mary Harris, and this is Only Human from WNYC. Today on the show, what it's like to live at the outer limits of medical knowledge. Or I could put it another way, what it's like to spend life as a guinea pig. Susanna Ludwig is 44 now. She's an eight-year-old son, and she works as a film producer. Ever since that summer after college, she's known her condition could change her life at any moment. Her father, Stephen Ludwig, has known that since she was a baby. You expect your child to be perfect in terms of physical dimension, and and when they're not, you go through a lot of different feelings. Um, did we do something wrong? It's definitely one of the feelings I remember. Susanna's dad is a pediatrician. He was in his residency when Susanna was born, seven weeks early. 
She was very small, only about 1,200 grams. That's a little under three pounds. So you knew she was small. When did you find out that there was something more going on? Well, first we went through the whole excitement and fear of going through the delivery, and she was delivered, and and she seemed fine at that point. But then as they started to feed her, they noticed that the food was not going down. To figure out what was going on, doctors put a tube in Susanna's mouth, trying to reach her stomach. It wouldn't go. Her esophagus ended in a pocket. The condition is called esophageal atresia. And my understanding is that when Susanna was born, this was a condition that children might not survive. Definitely, I think both from the part of view of the defect itself, but also the fact of her prematurity and how small she was. So, yeah, it was a tense time. So, Susanna, I guess I wonder what it's like for you to listen to your dad talking about all this. Um, You know, it's never easy. I feel I don't know really where where my life would be if I had been someone else's child. This is why I wanted to talk to Susanna and her father together. Because at every step, for the last 44 years, he's observed her and helped her and worked with her doctors to figure out what to do next. It was Susanna's good luck that when she was born, doctors at Children's Hospital National Medical Center, where Stephen Ludwig was doing his medical training, were pioneering a surgery for babies with her condition. When she was 11 months old, Susanna was the second person to get it. And that's how she lived a relatively normal life until she was 21. Relatively normal. The year after that first surgery, when she was still a baby, she was hospitalized 13 times. Usually, an esophagus pushes food down into the stomach. Susanna's improvised one didn't do that. So she's had a tricky relationship with eating for basically her whole life. Were there rules? There were certain rules around certain foods. So foods that were more chewy or harder to break down, I tried in general to stay away from because I just couldn't, I had trouble swallowing them. And so the food just literally sat there. It sat in her throat, refusing to go down. And unfortunately, a lot of the foods that were hard for me are foods that I loved. For example, like soft pretzels and pizza and... Basically, kid food was off limits. Not all kid food, but a lot, yes. (laughs) Um... And so this one sort of famous story is that when I – I think she was five, my oldest friend, at her birthday party, her mom served hot dogs, which I was not allowed to eat. And in the middle of the party, they were wondering where was I and I was in the corner shoving hot dogs into my mouth. Um, And we still laugh about it to this day. Her parents had to call my parents and – Because they knew you weren't supposed to be eating it, Right. right? Yeah. This is a story Susanna clearly loves to tell. But what would happen after a transgression like that wasn't fun. To keep the food from just sitting in her throat, she'd have to make herself throw up. Susanna has memories of doing this all through her childhood, at nice restaurants, at family gatherings, her dad standing by to give her moral support. But Susanna doesn't like to focus on that, partly because she knows a lot of what she deals with is kind of gross, and she's sensitive about it. But also, she really doesn't want to see herself as weak, When she talks about her childhood, she mostly talks about how happy it was. She took piano lessons. She was a brownie. In high school, she was into cheerleading and school plays. She says she's always been relentlessly optimistic. When Susanna's dad thinks back on how their family handled her health, 
optimism isn't the word he chooses. I think denial is a powerful defense <laughs> mechanism. It works a lot of the time. Sometimes it works so much that it begins not to work. Do you feel like you were in denial? To some extent, certainly downplaying the negative and uh, accentuating the positive. I, I guess that is a form of denial, but it, I mean, it was not total denial. We're both clearly aware of what was the circumstances were. but Well, I guess when there's no template, you sort of have two choices. Act like everything's normal or not. Yeah. As a friend of mine says, laugh or cry, at the end you still get the bill. I totally get what Susanna's parents were doing here. You want your kids to succeed, so you do all you can to help them feel strong and capable. We tried to raise her with an attitude that she was normal and that she should live a normal life and do everything that she wanted to do and not be inhibited to try things and and be with her peers and so forth. It's hard to know it's where to find balance. that balance. Yeah. Because Susanna is normal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time... She had almost no peers, no one going through this. And even more than that, no one, I, you know, I, I literally have met one other person in my entire life who had this same condition. What was that like? Uh, it completely freaked me out, to be honest. After the break, we'll hear what it was like for Susanna to meet a stranger who knew all of her medical secrets. This is Only Human. beginning of January, we launched Stick To It, our project to help you stick to your New Year's resolution to exercise. Thousands of people have signed up already, and for those of you who haven't, it's not too late. Check out the project at onlyhuman.org slash stick to it. You'll get details about how to download an app that'll help you set weekly exercise goals and keep them. My goal is so modest. I want to make sure I run at least three times a week. Join me at onlyhuman.org slash stick to it. On September 11th, 2001, the world changed. But there were warning signs. Look, it's always easy in hindsight to say it's a big mistake. I'm Jim O'Grady. I'm a reporter in the WNYC newsroom, and I'll be revisiting the evidence to understand why we didn't see it coming. I said, I told you these bastards are coming back. Blind Spot, The Road to 9-11, a new podcast series from History and WNYC Studios. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This is Only Human. I'm Mary Harris. We're talking to Susanna Ludwig and her father, Dr. Stephen Ludwig. Susanna was born with a rare birth defect. She didn't have an esophagus. When she was a baby, she had a surgery that let her have a pretty normal childhood. So she didn't have to face how vulnerable she was until her early 20s, when her improvised esophagus failed. Going through that made Susanna want to find someone to talk to, someone who'd experienced the same thing. That's how she wound up meeting the one other person she's ever known who has her condition. I had never met anybody like me. And he, unfortunately, was much, much sicker than me. He had had many, many more procedures and surgeries, and he was really, really suffering. And was I he just, your age? He was around my age. 
And I just got really scared because I kind of think I wanted to continue on the path of thinking positively and moving forward and looking at him. I thought, you know, this could be much, much worse. And I'm sort of not willing to allow myself to think about that. You're describing like the most awkward blind date ever. It was sort of like that, except that it's even worse in a way because on a blind date, you don't know intimate things about the other person. But in this case, we had this really intense shared physical problem that's incredibly intimate. And it's not nice. You know, there's, there's, there's things about it that are not nice to discuss. The purpose of our meeting was to sort of get into the nitty-gritty of what have I been through and what have you been through? And it, it was a very tough meeting. And he had been through a lot more than you? A lot more. Was he able to work? Was he able to live mm-hmm. a normal? No. So he, he, was, he was just sick. Mm-hmm. Do you know where he is now? I don't. And uh, <laughs> my family makes fun of me because in general, I'm the kind of person who keeps in touch with everybody my whole life. Like I have a lot of Facebook friends and I... He's not one of your 1,400 <laughs> Facebook friends? No. That's surprising. <laughs> <laughs> See what I mean? <laughs> Susanna really doesn't want to focus on what her health problems might mean for her. But over the last 20 years, she's had to think a lot about how her body works and how it might fail her. She's had to have more hospital stays, and more surgeries. And each one is an experiment that might lead to new problems. Two surgeries ago when I was 36, when we came out of it, there was, um, there was a leak uh, mm. in my esophagus. So it needed to just heal by itself. And the only way that it could heal was if I didn't eat. So you, were, you weren't eating with your mouth at mm-hmm. all. You, were ju- you just had an intravenous line. Mm-hmm. And that was something that – so, you know, I knew that the surgery was going to be major. I knew I was going to be in the hospital about two weeks. I knew that there was going to be, you know, a couple-month recovery. I was prepared for all of that. What I wasn't prepared for was a three-week hospitalization and not being able to eat for several months after that. What is it like just not to eat? It's horrible. It's horrible. How? You feel not normal. You feel like just not normal is the best way. I don't know how else to describe it. Being not normal is one of Susanna's biggest fears about her future. Because all those problems she experienced as a child, they still happen to her. She has acid reflux all the time. And food still takes an incredibly long time to move through her system. Four or five days rather than the typical 18 hours. Even though she takes medicine to help her digest more quickly. Sometimes, when she's lying down in bed, she wakes up vomiting and choking. Every few months, it's serious enough that she has to call an ambulance. I asked her if she could ever just give up food. She says she couldn't. But she's made all kinds of changes. She's on a liquid diet a couple of days a week. She's trying out being a vegan. What's it like to know there's no textbook solution? In my darkest hours, it's horrifying and scary and terrifying. And I worry about, you know, what will happen when I'm, you know, in my 70s and my dad's not here. And But um, I also have a lot of faith in medicine and in thinking outside of the box. And I know that I'm a fighter and I try to stay with that. Since Susanna was born, her dad has become a pretty well-known pediatrician at the University of Pennsylvania. He helped popularize the term shaken baby syndrome in the U.S. For Susanna, he's still that extra brain, thinking through her treatment and figuring out ways to make her everyday life easier. 
for my birthday this year, my dad said, I think we want to get you a bed that elevates in the back. And my first reaction initially was like, oh, that's like a hospital bed. I don't want to have a hospital bed. But then I realized, oh, that's kind of cool. That could be good. And Did you get it? I did get it. And it has been helping. And it actually has a massage button, which is even better. <laughs> I wanted to ask Stephen Ludwig, does he also wonder about Susanna's life without him? Your daughter says she worries. What happens when you're not there to be her doctor dad? Do you think about that too? I do. Uh, just crossed my 70th birthday, so a lot of those thoughts are in my mind at this point. I think Suzanne will be able to figure out these things for herself. Most of us get medical care, and we make this assumption. The doctor will figure it out. But Susanna knows better than anyone that those doctors, they're just trying things. Sometimes those things work, and sometimes they don't. Do you feel like the surgeries will end? I honestly don't know. I don't know. Right now, it doesn't seem like there's any in my future, which I'm so happy. And I will do anything to keep them away. But I don't know. That's the thing that's so crazy and weird about the whole situation is that we really don't know what's going to happen. There's no roadmap at all. How much do you think about the future? Like what comes next? I, I walk the line of thinking about it all the time and then trying not to think about it. We don't know what the next step would be with my health. We don't know what happens when this esophagus doesn't work anymore. We don't know how much longer I'll eat this way or not eat this way. But in a weird way, the dreams and the big future plans is what keeps me going. So I can't give that up. Susanna Ludwig's big dreams are mostly about making films. And she's had a lot of success. A few years ago, a documentary she produced called King's Point was nominated for an Academy Award. She co-created the series Boomtown about the North Dakota oil boom. But the project she's focused on now is closer to home. She's making short films of kids who are sick or struggling with their health. She wants to give kids space to talk about being sick or whatever they want to talk about. Susanna's condition is rare, but a lot of us have felt the way she does. If you've been through a serious illness, you might have reached a point where it feels like your doctors don't have all the answers, and they seem more like educated improvisers than experts. Or maybe you've had to do some figuring out for yourself. Go to onlyhuman.org or find us on Facebook and tell us about it. What did you do? How did you feel about it? While you're there, you can find a link to Susanna's film project. It's called Portraits That Heal. Only Human is a production of WNYC Studios. This episode was edited by Molly Messick. Our team includes Amanda Aronchik, Paige Cowett, Kenny Malone, Elaine Chen, Julia Longoria, Ankita Rao, and Fred Mogul. Our technical director is Michael Raphael. Our executive producer is Lital Malad. Special thanks this week to Mitch Hanley. Jim Schachter is the vice president for news at WNYC. And I'm Mary Harris. Before we go, I just want to put in one last plug for our Stick To It project. It's a study we're conducting about how to stick with your resolutions to exercise. And you should definitely sign up. Support. 
Support for WNYC's health coverage and Only Human is provided by the Torina Endowment Fund, the Hearst Foundations, Jane and Gerald Catcher, the Iris and Junming Lee Foundation, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, the Simons Foundation, the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, and the Winston Foundation.